0: Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer, Brandon Jones and myself Dan Strafford and today we have some hot takes on a cold show. It's Winter is Coming. Game of Thrones is coming your way. We're going to talk about not only the show itself but about education around Game of Thrones as well. As always, I'd like to check in first Brandon. How you doing? I'm doing even better after that, that open day. I don't know how long you've been sitting on that,
1: but uh, the Hot Eats Cool Treats, the Dairy Queen uh, style, I like it. There it is. Uh, I'm doing real well. I, I love Game of Thrones. I love learning. I'm excited. Um, I've been in my uh, not full season, full series re-binge, but I, I watched season six and season seven. Oh, uh so i'm i'm ready i'm ready for this i'm ready for that i'm ready for this and that Mm.
0: uh i'm doing well a little bit of this a little bit of that mike are you ready Mm. to hang with brandon and myself talking game of thrones
2: this is gonna keep saying "Mm." yeah yeah man i'm uh i well i don't know if you guys know this about me but i was i was born ready (laughs) so i happen to be ready for uh for this, but I mean, my goodness, and uh, just to clarify for our listeners, uh, first off, thanks for joining, uh, and then uh, secondly, today's show more about what can be learned from Game of Thrones. true, so this is you know we talk about the edifying edutainment, one of the one of the topics, uh, one of the the hot items in our uh, tasty tournament, uh, March Madness, which is happening right now. So uh there's a lot to be learned from edutainment and Game of Thrones. If you if you haven't heard, you better you better ask somebody because uh because it's uh it's entertaining and it's relevant and there's a ton to be learned. Absolutely that's not the whole that's not the whole story though, Dan. I know I'll give you one moment. But there's wait, not, there's more. There's there's slightly more. <laughs> we are also gonna come back with our final season of The Citadel, where we'll be breaking down Each episode of Game of Thrones, uh, when it uh, when they actually begin, Uh, so starting right after the first episode of season eight uh, on April fourteenth, so right about uh, you know uh, April fifteenth, right around tax day, it's time to get your Game of Thrones on. So uh, so we'll uh,
0: we'll we'll hit all that action. Uh, So mm, I'm excited. There it is. And uh, we will talk a bit about the Citadel, the place on this episode, a place of learning uh, in the show. For those of you who haven't watched and plan to, there will be spoilers of sorts as we go through here. Uh, So you can listen. We're not going to give away uh, drastic plot lines, but there will be references to the show uh, and things that may come to pass uh, as we talk through. So this is your your warning. Uh, as uh, Brandon, I think I said, Mike's in the past, uh, or lest you be spoilt, uh, it will happen here uh, on this show. So uh, Dan,
2: I, th- I thought you were going to say this episode is is short and full of spoilers. I thought I thought that was <laughs> what. There's a
0: good one too, but well, there's so many callbacks. It's been yeah. two years now. Um, right. Where do you want to start, Mike? Like there are the the specific um, articles we shared around uh, educational purposes from the show. There's a, a grad course based on. Uh, Game of Thrones and leadership tactics they're in. There's been a scientific study on who should be left at the end of uh, this season. Uh, but what do you think is the most interesting or, or where do you want to jump off uh, in this discussion around Game of Thrones and education?
2: Yeah. Um, first, first place, uh, you know, Brandon walked in on me prepping a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, you got to go, you got to call back to the Prince, right? Uh, and uh, Machiavelli's Prince, that is. Uh, so, I think political science is probably the most straight ahead learning angle, uh, for, uh, for the Game of Thrones. So it's all about, uh, realpolitik. It's all about Machiavellianism. Uh, and, uh, it's the idea that frequently good politics, uh, involves things that may not always be viewed as moral or ethical. And, uh, I think that's zeitgeisty on a number of fronts. Uh, And if I were teaching like an intro uh, political science uh, program, uh, I'd probably be referencing a little bit of Game of Thrones when I talk about uh, Machiavelli's The Prince. Uh, And I also think, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's probably uh, most useful for people who are trying to understand how to, be an effective uh, policymaker, an effective political candidate uh, to bone up on their Game of Thrones. I, I don't know. I don't know what you think. Uh, that was my opening salvo, Brandon. I don't know if you have any uh, takes on my take.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. You could also reference the prince when teaching Game of Thrones because there is now a, a Game of Thrones in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So as Dan was saying at a, a Columbia Business School, there is now a, a Game of Thrones Leadership through Game of Thrones lessons mm-hmm. uh, class, um, which I think is probably really interesting. It feels a little um, opportunistic, right? Uh, so, and also, how, wait, the, I time the, minute, time
0: the, a, how do you mean? How do you mean exactly? I'm not, I'm not following you, Brandon. Can you, can you go into yeah. more detail on this? Yeah,
1: are, are you, are. You're just being funny, Dan. I, you have to funny. give me like you have to spoil me when you're trying to be funny, so like I can I can react appropriately. Um, so and the professor, I, I think it's the same professor Bruce Craven, um, who I'll admit, like I, when I was reading this article the first time, I thought that we were talking about Wes Craven since he's the Craven I know, right? Um, or the he, does he go by the three eyed Craven? Do you think? Oh my goodness! Yeah, the, like, the Game of Thrones reference. That's right. There yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, uh, they got birds with extra eyes. Um, he's written a, he's, he's written a book. I saw that also, uh, leadership, uh, what's it called? Leadership through game of Thrones, leadership mm-hmm. lessons from game of Thrones. I'll mm-hmm. get it right here. Uh, hold please. Leadership secrets from game of Thrones. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I, I like the the Machiavelli piece. And, and I do think that in, in teaching, one of the things we talked about is, you know, how to find hooks that already exist and hang new knowledge onto those. And I think my guess is that those entertainment hooks of things like Game of Thrones are pretty securely affixed uh, to your uh, brain structures. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, using those as a teaching mechanism, I think is, is really smart. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the Machiavelli angle. I, I do think on the having it explicitly as a course or as a book that you sort of draw from this world, it does, it feels a little, um, it feels a little, feel a little something to me. A little gimmicky, maybe a gimmicky. I think that's, yeah. Are they maybe engaging in some gimmickry? I think it may be gimmickry in that, in that classroom, but uh, far from me to cast any aspersions. Like if it's, if it's working, then, then, then great. And, you know, I think that is a credit to the world that George R. R. Martin created is it's so rich and so deep that, you know, like someone can not as uh, on a lark can actually create graduate level coursework from it.
2: Right. Although, interestingly, like getting back to the edifying uh, edutainment, I think frequently the knock on bringing in those relevant pop culture entertainment references to your classroom is that it's it's sort of gimmicky it's like you're distracting you're adding too much cognitive load because people instead of actually understanding what they need to know about political science or uh you know business practices or uh or whatever instead they start thinking oh yeah that was pretty cool when uh Tyrion uh
1: was on a dragon you know right I, but i think this there's a little bit um makes me think of sort of the moonwalking with einstein mm. um you know, if you're building sort of, if, if in your memory palace, you can find things that are, um, you know, the, the, the imagery of them is really compelling to you. You know, I, I think that's probably what we're trying to do here with, with this. I think that it does border uh, in, in not super deft hands. I think it does border on gimmickry. Um, but I think it can be, if it's done well, I think it can actually help, secure that knowledge my guess is that the goal of those seminars etc is is actually to get people to encode and then be able to recall the things that they're being taught mm-hmm. so at a certain level it either works better or it doesn't right um, so, and i think if it works better not that any you know any ends justify any means but I, I feel like that could be could be effective
2: i see what you did there yeah you got you got a, a call back to the prince there you go but uh <laughs> but the interesting angle i think also is uh what Uh, what exactly are we doing to just draw the learner in initially? Because it does feel a little bit like clickbait, uh, where like the fact that we're talking about pretty much every article we're going to share out (laughs) as part of this show, except for maybe uh, a Wikipedia reference to Machiavelli, (laughs) is going to be clickbait. And that's because right now, more from, uh, you know, more on the economics and advertising angle on it, anything that talks about Game of Thrones is going to draw some attention. So, uh, you know, I guess attention as a commodity, a little gimmickry to draw the right attention to start the conversation is good. I think the question is how much depth, you know, how much meat can you actually put on the bone? Right. And, uh, and I don't really know because I've only done the surface uh, investigation of these. Art- I haven't read that guy's book. Uh-huh. We're not going to talk to any of the, artic- the the authors of these articles, as far as I can tell. But um, but it definitely uh, you know it captures attention. You know, like we're uh, if, for those of you who are listening to this. Many of you may be listening to this because we're talking about
1: Game of Thrones, right?
2: And uh, and uh, hopefully you're entertained.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, you know, the thing on the the gimmicky piece, and and I think clickbait is another good example here. Yeah. Uh, Journalists will write headlines with an attempt to hook, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there there is a line, and I think it's not that fine. I think you actually can tell what's on one side of the other between what is clickbait and what is, you know, effective hooks to to draw attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's a similar. I think there's a probably a spectrum. Similarly for. You know, using edutainment um, for for instructional purposes mm-hmm. is what is just clickbaity, or like, what's the instructional version of clickbait? Right. Um, Chalkbait. bait. Um, like, what what is uh, something that is just confectionary for the for the learner, and like, what is actually an effective hook? Mm-hmm. I think those are that's a that's an interesting uh, consideration for for instructors as well.
2: Yeah, and and I think also understanding your audience, right? So like, uh, Game of Thrones is not for your traditional K-12 crowd,
1: right? So I, I hope not. <laughs> I think it's more, it's like more K-5, <laughs> um, I think is probably the, the target demo. There are some adult
2: themes. There are. Within uh, Game of Thrones. A few. And, uh, and I think that's a big part of it. That's part of why, uh, getting back to your uh, Moonwalking with Einstein mnemonics uh, episode that we talked about, cognitive hacks, memory palaces frequently involve uh, creating images and putting them in a physical location, so and associating memories with that, so you can remember things better. But one of the interesting things is that the more uh, salacious the image, the more uh, ribald, or <laughs> I'll be okay, debauched, or whichever, uh, the more racy it is, the the more vivid the imagery, the more likely you remember it. Um, Game of Thrones is extremely memorable in that respect, where like there's all these really like lush sort of over the top and lush in another uh, Uh dimension. I drink and Uh, I know things. Yes. Yes. And it's like, it's, it's almost hitting your reptile brain uh, in a way that a lot of other programming doesn't, you know, it's not TV, it's HBO. And it's, uh, it's sort of waking you up in a way that traditional television wouldn't. Um, I think that's an interesting idea for education uh, but obviously, it's only for an adult sure. audience. So like, um, and actually, we may be losing our audience who's like, ah, oh, Game of Thrones, not my cup of tea. Uh, so apologies. We're still talking about learning. So please stay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that we've already lost the people we're going to lose. <laughs> and so now we run the risk of losing the people we might have kept just by talking about how we're losing people. So, so let's stop.
0: Yeah. Well, I think as you develop uh, the, the idea around the Columbia core specifically, that it's in line with Columbia's management style and their courses. So it's written specifically by Craven to be part of that world, to to be on that same plane. So it is an intriguing one to understand there. But Mike, as we sort of turn the page and, and understand better exactly how people are using the, the show in the classroom or maybe via text, um, do you think that it's it's been – part of the social conscious that it's expressed to everyone meaning that like even someone who doesn't watch the show can at least get something out of it or understand where they're supposed to be heading
2: yeah i think so i mean i think it's very much part of the zeitgeist as we we try to say zeitgeist every show zeitgeisty so it's definitely part of the Zeitgeisty. um i do think it's uh it's relevant uh in that as much as anything that's part of the mass culture is relevant and like sort of being able to stay current with what's happening in the world around you makes you uh more interesting more cool more relevant in a conversation so i do think there's an element uh to that as well where like people even who don't uh keep up with game of thrones probably have some passing knowledge, they've probably seen it uh, for for moments at a time. So, so I think there's an element of uh, connecting it to the world outside of the classroom that uh, we've talked about a bunch. And I think generally, uh, that is a way to connect uh, with your audience. I also think it's an interesting example. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about this when we do launch the Citadel this season. Uh, my my angle might be to always have like hot learning takes Mm. on the most recent episodes hot learning pies (laughs) all those things yeah because like it it is what i what i think we do in an interesting way at times on the show is like we we try to sort of almost work in reverse it's almost like a parlor game where it's like there ain't no way you're gonna connect learning to game of thrones and we're like ah challenge (laughs) accepted. right so like So it is interesting to think about it that way, where like, um, if you think about the storytelling and narrative and relevance aspects of good instructional design, I think there's a lot to chew on in Game of Thrones, especially for those of us who really love the show or the books. Uh, So like, there's a way to kind of signal, you know, what you're passionate about. And then um, I gotta imagine reading all these books as a teenager is probably net
1: good for you. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I think I think net good for you. I mean, it's like I don't know in the five books. We'll see if Winds and wi- winds, of w- winds of Winter ever hits the shelves uh, or digital shelves, but it's probably like 4000, 3500 pages, something mm-hmm. like that. So I I think generally when you read 4000 pages, that's probably net good for you. Great. Um, even if the content is a little ribbled. I mean, I think for the for the right audience not right for an eight-year-old, but you know, for whatever, an eighteen-year-old. Um, I think certainly the content is appropriate, and especially in the written form, and net positive. Yeah, um, I think just also on the the Game of Thrones to, to the question that Dan asked, um, you know, there are Game of Thrones watchers and non-watchers, and and you know, we want to be diverse and inclusive in this podcast. And you know, if you have if you are not a non Game of Thrones listener who has not yet ba- bagged this podcast episode. Um, I think there's actually something that's learned if, even if you're completely uninterested in the content, I think that the, the cultural phenomenon that is uh, Game of Thrones is actually really interesting, whomever you are, Mm -hmm. right? Because thinking about how something goes viral, thinking about how something becomes part of the zeitgeist, becomes part of the social milieu, uh, I think is, is interesting whether you are a content creator whether you're a consumer of content whether you're a critic of content whether you're just like a person in the world I, I suppose you're one of those or more of those things no matter who you are depending on how you define content we all consume some content mm-hmm. i think that's um there's a there's an int- interesting cultural piece to it too so even if you're not watching you are you're part of the phenomenon in as much as it exists around you whether or not through you right right
2: and I, and i also think like it's about to end you know sure which is. Is, which which is interesting on a number of i'm going to pour some arbor gold out for that like that is <laughs> that is
1: sad, that is sad news it is
2: sad news but like with its passing i've heard folks talk about the end of appointment television as well cuz like you know if you think about netflix and you think about um the way uh, stranger things season 3 mm-hmm. uh, is about to come out that whole season is going to get dropped on netflix and many folks are just going to set aside a weekend uh and power through it and that's a very different viewing experience than uh what you get with game of thrones and then game of thrones is probably the closest version of of modern golden age of television programming that is reminiscent of sports to me because like part of why i watch live sports is because i never know what might happen right and then game of thrones absolutely why you watch game of thrones because you never know you never know like you like the character the whole narrative has been built around for an entire season may suddenly be gone and like talk about like learning something relevant nowadays learn about storytelling and uh like building to uh to a crescendo and then the power of surprise ton to learn there and uh not to mention the ripple effect into social media that we're trying to right. Uh, surf. Right. right. Now surf those ripples. Yeah, man.
0: Yeah. And I think, Mike, you shared an article just before we started recording here about a study uh, that went about trying to figure out the, the physical way that Game of Thrones may end and had some really interesting thoughts to it around uh, the different characters and their appearances on screen, how they passed away, whether it be in natural causes or because of a physical altercation. There's a lot of data going into Game of Thrones, not just coming out of it
2: totally and like the the um internet uh prediction economy is is kind of losing its mind right now because there's so many different ways in which uh this type of information can uh can roll out but uh but it's kind of wild how many prediction economies prediction markets machine learning we remember we did a show on predicting the world cup
1: absolutely where
2: we were talking about uh the difference between uh random forest uh <laughs> distributions new, new artificial intelligence uh, machine learning predictions versus uh intelligent squid intelligent squid yeah and uh, and the like but uh but any of the ways in which folks are, are forecasting who's going to win the Game of Thrones or, or who's going to uh, uh, expire uh, on the Game of Thrones that yeah.
1: catch your interest? Well, I, I so yes. Uh, and I, I want to hit a couple more beats on that. That's Smithsonian, our uh, sure. uh, dot com yes. article that you uh, had sent. Um, so interesting. Uh, so if, if I could just uh, call out a couple things. So this was a, ca- a catalog of all of the characters and who has died and how they died. Yes. Uh, so they they list they li- have listed 330 important, it's uh, in quotes, characters. Right. These right.
2: are, just to be clear, these are epidemiologists.
1: These are epidemiologists who stu- from Australia. Who
2: study uh, mortality rates and other diseases and such, yeah. and they're using their practices uh based on the, the plot lines of Game of Thrones.
1: That's right, in fact, they um, when they did classify them, they used this uh, alphanumeric death code based on the international statistical Statistical classification of diseases and related health problems. So uh-huh. they used something from industry right. to apply it to this. Um, I, I, I couldn't like this more. I, I'm trying oh to my, like this more and it's God. just impossible because yeah. I like
2: it the most. Maxed out.
1: Um, so uh, th- through this announcement, and if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, like spoiler alert, just as a general part yeah. of the the oeuvre here, um, that uh, a lot of people die. Yeah. So 56.4% of the people have died. Wow. That 73.7% of those are caused by injuries. Yeah. They've only uh, shown two natural deaths depicted in the show. I was
2: trying to remember them,
1: Yeah, but I couldn't. Um, I think Meister Eamon. mm, yes, he he passes peacefully in the night, right. Um, Maybe like the
2: old dude in the night's watch.
1: That's the, that's the dude. Oh, like you said. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I think that the natural, the natural passings often involve old dudes in the night. (laughs)
2: That's probably true. Um,
1: So, uh, but uh, that was also interesting. So they classified them as, uh, as either highborn or lowborn and then their, their occupation. I like this. Oh my God. Silk collar jobs (laughs) and boiled leather collar jobs. So good. So they use this that this is like this is the the whole point of the show here is that that this this um, uh, space that that world that George R. R Martin has created is interesting enough that you can apply something like epidemiology to this space and one it's it's fun mm-hmm. two it gets people talking about. Friggin' epidemiology right right so like if if you're an epidemiologist you know what you want people talking about right is your
2: work right Right, right. so
1: i think it's i think it's great yeah
2: and i mean i'll talk ebola as much as the next guy yeah but like this is a more entertaining way to learn like if you're just learning epidemiology for the first time and you happen to be a game of game of thrones stir uh this is going to resonate even more.
1: Yeah. So it was interesting, um, and I'm, we're basically just reading this article, or I am to, to y'all. You can check it out as well. But just the, the their um, uh, insights from the from the data, these are all based on the data at the end. It's pretty big here. A lot of people die. Is that high-born people who switch alliances yes. or switch houses or whatever, go from a house to the night's so watch, et cetera are the most likely to survive. Yeah, and
2: and even more so the
1: ladies. And more so the ladies, that's right. Right. So they they peg then Sansa and Arya Stark as the two most likely to to survive based on that.
2: And then not too far behind them are... John Snow and Bran. And Bran and I no and Tyrion too. And right? Tyrion. Yeah, those yeah. three. And then the one it didn't look good for Daenerys though, based
1: on this analysis. Although she is highborn, but she has not switched houses. She's yeah. a highborn woman, so she's got two yeah. of the factors. Just
2: switch a house. Her risk
1: just- factors are low. Like <laughs> exactly. you know, she's not a smoker, you know, she's <laughs> doesn't have a history of heart disease. <laughs> So I thought that was interesting, and and then uh, maybe if if I can just take us to one Please. one additional one. I, there's so like the odds on this. Oh my god! The odds making they're yes. like you know there are, are places where you can place bets. Yep. Correct. Uh, like legitimate houses of uh, of bet bet making. Yes. Um, where <laughs> you can uh, bet on this. Um, and, uh, there's from, there's, there's, uh, odds to survive the season. Right. Or I guess there's the odds that they will be the first character who doesn't survive the season. Right. There are odds who will rule at the end of uh, season eight. Right. Uh, I, there's like all these, you know, in basically in all these different spaces, whether it's in the classroom or in the you know at, at your sports book, like there are there's places to get Game of Thrones action. And, I think it's pretty
2: cool. And and I think the real interesting action though, because if you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. That's right. And or uh, you
1: have a third alternative that doesn't scan as well.
2: <laughs> exactly. But if you talk about who wins, I think that's probably the most interesting action. Mm. I mean you. The sharps, the people who got the angles, you could probably make some uh, clever bets and win a little bit on the sides. But the thing that people are going to get excited about, I think, are saying who is going to be sitting on the Iron Throne at the end of season eight and uh, there's some interesting uh, I was gonna
0: say, interesting
2: yeah. action there. Yeah, Dan, what, what you got?
0: Well, there's just a wide range, and I think one is no one, too. I think one is, the you know, there's one that's the field, meaning everyone that wasn't mentioned as a specific uh, player. And then I right. believe they also have that no one is, right. uh, that it all just blows up and, and the world uh, ends at the end of, of the final season. There's also Game of Thrones fantasy opportunity where you can draft different houses and follow it that way and get points for certain actions certain battles um but they're trying and i think that's the interesting thing that i was trying to get into with the the science study is it's sort of leaning into game of thrones and using it to teach but also pulling out from game of thrones things that we can study and learn and get involved in that environment i think mike you made what was that? Go ahead, please. Oh, I, I, you made the point about Tolkien, and I'm a, I'm a big oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings uh, person. I actually took a course in college, speaking of the one at Columbia, called Philosophy and Man that was based solely off of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. And so it was an interesting idea to see this here as well. I took a lot out of that course more than the books. And the, and the analogies and the metaphors we were able to pull together from the, the world created. And whether or not George R. 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 Martin finishes the final book and finishes this story, HBO clearly is, in some right. way, sheer or form. So we're getting this sort of closed-in world, and you hear the phrase, art imitating life or life imitating art. There's a lot of things in this show that just... Resonate with people and resonate with the way we interact, and and I think even the odds here, you you, you have the people you're rooting for, you have the people that you expect to be there, uh, and you make the joke about the sharps. Maybe they they take the heart and the bias out of it and make make the choices they want to make. But it's just been such an experience yeah. that I think speaks to a lot of people. I did want to ask Mike one question of you uh, and Brent, Feel feel uh, free to chime in here about the Maesters and about the uh, the Citadel itself and about the the books of learning. And we spent pretty much the entire season with Sam and Gilly uh, there in the Citadel studying the books. Is it your belief, Mike and, and Brandon, you too, that all of the history of Westeros is available to us there in the Citadel and thus the story already been written? Uh, that, that's a theory I've seen and sort of talks to the entirety of the uh, history here and history as a subject and history as a teaching moment. Do you think it's all there or do you think this is still being written as we're watching it? I'm not sure
2: I fully understand the question, but uh, but I have heard uh, folks say that that basically Sam is the writer and that, you know, he's sort of documenting the history of Westeros and that ultimately what we're reading is written uh, by by him or from his perspective. Right. I, I think that. That you know, Brandon is more of our, our genuine maester uh, when it comes to understanding the the intricacies of uh, Westeros and Game of Thrones. But I think one thing that you, that uh, you got me thinking about here, Dan, uh, and the epidemiologists um, nice band name by the way, Dan and the epidemiologists, <laughs> but um, is that uh, using works like uh, Game of Thrones or like Lord of the Rings as a data set. And then using that data set to try to figure out where the story is going. I think it's an interesting idea because I think there's a point at which you might start to get inside our George R.R. R. Martin's mind. But then I also think, unlike the data sets that you typically uh, draw from, he's trying to surprise you. So, like, I don't know if it would actually work but it is interesting if you think about world building and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, Tolkien, I was talking about more as it relates to uh Duolingo's course on uh high Valerian courses on high Valerian and Dothraki, uh, Tolkien famously, uh, you know, invented, uh, Elvish yep. and, uh, and a Orcish and a bunch of other languages. And he was, um, he was a philologist, you know, like he was a professional, uh, studier of language, uh, and, uh, Yeah. I mean, I, uh, Brandon, I will defer to you. I think you are, you are like chief Westeros maester here. So, uh, so I've
1: consumed a lot of Westerosian content. So, um, so I'll, I'll gladly wear the chain. Um, (laughs) yeah. So uh, to, to Dan's question, I, I mean, there's probably history that happened that went unrecorded. So, you know, in both like, times like the children in the forest before the first men like i'm not sure how much like what a, what a written tradition they had and then i think the thing that the the show has done so well is um uh is capture all the quiet moments between just humans and you know i a lot of that goes unrecorded and in fact that's like some of the most important thing that happens the reveal of this is super spoiler because r plus l equals j like the reveal of John's lineage and his given name, um, like that, is in a quiet moment that, in fact, actually went unrecorded except by um, the three-eyed raven. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I think no. I think the interesting story um, is uh, about Sam as the the writer of what we're watching now. Um, he also has the moment where in in the Citadel in season six, I think there's a, an, an exchange, maybe it's seven. Uh, exchange with the uh, maester there, the, the arch maester who has, uh, he's writing a book with like a pretty um, n- non-poetic title. And Sam is like giving him guff about his, uh, the lack of poetry in the title and a song of ice and fire is pretty poetic. So mm-hmm. I think that that speaks well. I thought it was also interesting. Just a couple other things just to riff on here. Uh, there's a theory that if, if Sam, cause everybody believes this. So like Sam is not on a lot of boards to, that you can, you know, you it's, you can't find action on him to bet uh, that he will be among the first to, to die. There's, a, there's a, a counter theory, which is that it will be his child, mm. who is named also Sam Tarley, named mm. after him. And they make a big deal about how he and Gilly are teaching this child to read. And I think, you know, obviously, George R. R. Martin is a, a writer and he is a learned man. He fills his book with books and dusty tomes and ravens carrying messages but there is a lot of attention paid to like teaching people to read and how that, yep. you know, there's, um, with Davos, his learning to read being taught by Serene, Shireen, um, that, uh, that saves his life when he sees a, a Raven scroll, the Gilly being taught to read actually being the one who learns about the annulment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the, there's, uh, there's definitely a nod to education as, um, you know as an empowering force in the show mm-hmm. that on our show about education and game of thrones i think is really appropriate to to call out
2: i think that's great and i hadn't even thought of it until now but now the, all those uh, all that uh, fan activity around the night king actually being the iphone
1: i hadn't <laughs> i hadn't actually made that con- I, I just made that yeah it's good i like that i like that in the in the list the um the who is going to end up on the throne? Some some deep cuts here. So, um, the Hound at plus twelve thousand. Wow, these yes. are odds as of uh, March twentieth. Sure. Um, I think you. I I can't believe anybody has inside action on that. I can't believe that that isn't higher. That's crazy. Um, and so yeah, why isn't he in the field? Uh, right, he should be in the field. Uh, Gilly at uh, better odds than the Hound actually it seems unlikely yeah um yeah the the best odds are brand stark yeah uh, i think i guess the best odds are the field right so but of the people who uh, are not the field are the best odds are no one excuse me right but um the the non no one odds the best odds are brand stark
2: and and this starts to tease a little more Citadel action but like the big uh, idea that's out there right now is that brand is in fact the Night King.
1: Yeah, and that also Bran was the one who made um, the Mad King go no. mad because mm. he was telling them him to burn them all, and he meant about the White Walkers. Huh. And that was like he, that didn't come through, and so he thought he was like he thought Aerys uh, Targaryen thought that he was hearing vision, like having visions,
2: because Bran was still figuring out his yeah. uh, brain tele. Teleport- his warging. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So I also so so Bran basically is westerosian google yes i mean he's got the being able to commute but like imagine having a source where you can go to and instantly find out anything right he's like it's like basically google it's like you know ask brand like ask siri like that's that's pretty good yeah i
2: don't know what kind of revenue model he has but uh, but otherwise he's, he's it's, right there it's
1: definitely there's like pay there's paid search like there's definitely depending on what you click on uh, speaking of clickbait, Brandon's going to serve, like, oh serve up goodness. the most, the, here's the best things to, to see from, uh, trip through Westeros in history. Uh,
0: so much to dive into any final thoughts, uh, that we're going to come back with after the first episode. So I, I want to give you both an opportunity before the, the season kicks off for any, any, maybe not hot takes, but any expectations or uh, things you want to learn this season, Brandon, maybe you first things you're looking forward to most of all.
1: Yeah, so um this is gonna get a little bit into like into Citadel type content, but just to to wrap us out. So um the the showrunners or George R. R. Martin, I'm not sure who this was attributed to, said the bit the show the ending is gonna be bittersweet. Mm. So I think that means that most people we have come to really like will die. So I'm obviously interested. You yes, ask what are we interested in seeing? I'm interested in seeing who remains. Um my hope is that it's it it's hard. It's like it's hard to end, th- end things, right? Like you've got, it happens too quick. I think I just, as I mentioned, every rewatched season seven, like everyone was on fast travel. Like that was, that was pretty unsettling for shows that had spent multiple episodes with t- people traveling by wagon, you know, through the long road. So the, hot, the King's Road or up to the wall. Um, so I, I guess I'm hoping that the resolution um, is not one that leaves us unsatisfied. I think mean, bittersweet would actually be satisfying. Like if everything ended with a nice, you know, happy bow tied on it, that probably wouldn't feel tonally consistent with the rest of the series. But um, I hope it it doesn't feel cheap or gimmicky mm-hmm. uh, or rushed. And that's, I guess, the thing I'm I'm most concerned about. But I love this world. There, there's going to be. I'm also interested, I guess, to see post the show how many spinoffs actually sure. come out of it. There's already one that's in uh that's that's been um signed i i think it actually may be in like pre-production now mm-hmm. so could it be one to ten i like th- this is a very rich world and people are interested in it. as long as you can be making that money mm-hmm. um I, I think hbo will be will be interested so lots that i'm excited about this is, i've been looking forward to this for two years um and i uh, can't wait to uh to actually have it arrive
0: yeah, and we'll uh, talk about it on the Citadel. And it does remind me a little bit of The Walking Dead with sort of this world that they've created and trying to get the spinoffs going. and you know, Walking Dead has a couple of movies and, and some other shows. I'm sure Game of Thrones will be doing the same. Mike, how about yourself?
2: Uh, no, I, I, when you said it's a rich world, uh, I was about to say, you got that right. Uh, in that uh, people are making a lot of money off of this. So, like, I imagine it's going to stick around. And, uh, you know, it won't be the same. So I, I do feel like this is... This is really like a milestone moment. Uh, and I do think as a trend spotting show, you know, we talked about education 2020, like the world will look back on this year and think of it as a different time. And I do think part of that is going to be driven by, remember when Game of Thrones was at the height of its powers? Remember when that series ended? It's the way people look back on uh, the last episode of MASH or who shot JR. And uh, that, in and of itself, is starting to wind down. So, like, I would say, uh, try to hold off on your own uh, bittersweet nostalgia until afterwards, and just lean into the experience. Uh, and don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. There you go, Sopranos. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited it's finally back. Because remember how into it we were, uh, two long years ago, and uh, you know. Good news is we're still here and we're still covering it. So, uh, so uh, be on the lookout for the Citadel and uh, looking forward to digging in more.
0: And that's going to do it for this edition of Trending in Education. Thanks so much for listening. Plenty still to come, as Mike was just saying. Around Game of Thrones, we will have a weekly Citadel episode recapping what happened and what we see moving forward, and we'll loop in education and learning wherever we can, of course. But next week on Tuesday, we have a brand new Trending in Education. We're going to look at our March Madness finals, and we're going to crown a winner. We look forward to that. We look forward to the extras that are coming your way as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Trending in Ed. Of course, the same on Facebook. Or find us at Trending in Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Trending in Education.